Good evening. Good evening. It's really cold. It is, yeah, but warm in here. Wait till that soup hits you or the cider with brandy. Both of those things will warm you up well. I'm going to read Psalm 133. Actually, I'm going to pray. I'll read Psalm 133. I have a handful of things to share, two or three hours worth of stuff, and then we'll do some singing, and then we will um, feast. We have much to feast about. It's going to be a great evening. So let me pray, and then uh, let's dive in. Father, we are so incredibly grateful for this beautiful day, for this evening, for our family gathered here, and for our ability to come together in fellowship. And so we ask you to bless us tonight, Lord, uh, to lift us up with grace and mercy and peace and joy in everything that we do. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 133. This is the word of the Lord. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God God indeed. It's so good to see everybody. I was going to talk about the Westminster Confession of Faith and continue our discussion, but life, like airline flying, Sometimes a reroute is necessary. And next week is the beginning of Advent, which is also the beginning of the Christian calendar, which we're going to talk about tonight. And so I thought, as we lead up to Advent, as we lead up to Christmas, maybe we should talk about something that kind of aligns with that. And it really wasn't, originally, we'll just talk about the Westminster Confession, use that, and then we'll jump into Advent stuff. And then this week, as seems to happen often, similar topics continue to repeat themselves, and I think, Oh, maybe that's what we should talk about on Saturday night. So for kind of the rest of the season until the new year, so what's going to look like, we're going to talk tonight about, I've called this, I had a name on this, I think I called this Calendars, Colors, and Catholicity, or Traditions, Don't Throw the Baby Out with the Bathwater. Next week, I'm going to give just a a primer on Advent, so Saturday night, because Sunday morning is Advent, beginning of the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And then for the interim nights before Christmas, my plan, though it could change because of rerouting, is to cover a Christmas carol, maybe one you haven't heard before, and look at the lyrics and then tie them back to the Bible verses. There are so many incredible hymns, so many incredible carols, so many incredible war songs for the soldiers of Christ. So I kind of want to dive into those. The Ugly Sweater Party is on the 16th. You guys should come. It's a lot of fun. And then we're going to do a Christmas carol sing on Christmas Eve Eve. So on Christmas Eve Eve. Um, Yeah, I think that's about it. The 23rd. The 23rd. So, tonight I want to talk about calendars and colors and Catholicity. And and like I said, I also want to call this tradition or don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And like I was saying, there are these themes that kind of repeat themselves or or show up in my interactions with people during the week pastorally. And the things that we're going to talk about tonight are the things that have been really showing up a lot for me this week. And, And two themes have come up this week. I was saying this to Matthew before we started. The first was this idea of the church calendar the liturgical seasons that we're in as a church, and then this word Catholic. We have this word Catholic in the Apostles' Creed. We also have it on the website. And so both of those have come up in conversations that I've had with people, and I thought, well, what better place to talk about them than here at the Outpost? But I want to talk about them under this tradition, under this, this, uh, sorry, under this umbrella of like tradition and symbols, which will align with the book that we've been reading, which is Through New Eyes by James Jordan. So What it seems to me in my very limited experience, and I didn't grow up in the church, is that there's this tendency in the post-Reformation church to toss out anything that like looks like the guys that we left behind. 
Like if it has any look or any feel from the people that the reformers separated with, it's just like, we'll just throw it out. We're not even going to give it attention. We want nothing to do with it. We should just get rid of that because we separated from those dudes. And I actually think that this approach is wrong, and I think that it hurts the church. And I think that it's part of the reason that the church has backslid down the hill from true faith. Like I'm reading a book, I think I'm going to talk about it a little later, it's over by Matthew's leg, it talks about this tendency of backsliding in faith. I think maybe I'm talking about it tomorrow during my sermon. But So the church has, has changed, and we've talked about this, into this kind of performance-based rock and roll show instead of a place of reverential worship of God. And that's caused people to backslide as well. When church becomes a participation event instead of something that is like embedded into who you are, you being a part of the body of Christ, when it just becomes something that's about you, like, that made me feel really good. I really liked that. It's no longer about God. And I think that's why people are being... I don't think you and I were talking about this, but some of your church members I was, being pulled to groups like the Eastern Orthodox Church. I, I believe the Eastern Orthodox Church is, is in heresy. I don't believe they're the true church. But there are a lot of people that are being pulled over there because they've watched the Protestant church kind of backslide into this performance-based, uh, you get a flashy flyer in the mail, or you get to wear a shirt for the small group or whatever the particular thing is. And they say, well, th there's got to be something more than this. There's be something I can like get my teeth into and then... The broader pagan culture talks about, like, I'm spiritual but not religious. And so then you get these traditions, these, these I mean, I know that they're very large, but I'm going to call them fringe faith for, from a theological standpoint. Traditions like the Eastern Orthodox Church, which talk more about, like, spirituality and there's some secret knowledge and some of these. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm pulled to that. There's tradition here. There's something, like, to hold on to, whereas it feels very flimsy, I think, a lot of times in the Protestant Church, which is really ironic because the Protestant church has never been flimsy. The reformers were not flimsy. The traditions of the church until the last couple hundred years, I, I would say, were, were really rock solid and firm. And true Christianity, what I would say post-Reformation, Orthodox Christianity, Catholic Christianity, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, has, has deep spiritual connection. It's rich. It's intellectually rich. It's spiritually rich. It's traditionally rich. It's ritualistically rich. It's rich in all of those areas because it's rooted in firm truths. And so that's what I want to talk about, because a lot of it plays into why we do things the way we do at our church and why churches in our communion do things the way that they do them. So before we dive into all that, I want to talk about this idea of tradition, what it is and what it's not. I can't say the word tradition without thinking fiddler on the roof. Tradition! Really. Traditions are not inherently bad. Traditions are not inherently bad. It's like anything else, how they're treated determines whether they're good or they're bad, whether they're righteous or they're sinful. So traditions are wonderful ways that we can glorify and edify God. They're wonderful ways to edify the divine. They're ways to celebrate, they're ways to mourn, they're ways to acknowledge. And actually, everybody has traditions in your life. You have Christmas traditions, right? We, have, we just came off a cultural tradition here in the United States, Thanksgiving. We had a family member in from Austria, and she came in so that she could participate in this cultural trans, uh, tradition that we have, right? So using a tradition to elevate something is not necessarily bad in itself. Worshiping a tradition is a problem. Believing that a tradition lies on top of Scripture is a problem. Believing that the tradition or the, this way of doing things is more important than what God said, that's where it really becomes a problem, right? Treating a tradition as it's more important or binding than God's Word, this is the heresy of the Roman Catholic Church. 
and I would even say the Eastern Orthodox Church. Both of those believe that the tradition of the church holds authority over the scripture that God has given us. That is a problem. But the reality is church traditions exist, and they're not necessarily bad when treated in their appropriate context and when viewed through the eyes of Scripture. <clears throat> I mean, we think about, and we're going to talk tonight about this church calendar. As we think about the traditions of the church calendar, you may see some of them and go, that, that's, that's Roman Catholic. Ugh. We, can't, we can't do that. But, but we actually can, and it's not. Or it's not and we can. I guess you should do that in the right, the right order there. So what I'm hoping is, is after our discussion here and then moving into 2024, as we start to grow as a church through some of these traditions, that you look at them in a new light and you open up to a way of worship that the historic church has done that has nothing to do with the Roman Catholic Church whatsoever. To look at these with new eyes, to realize that traditions in themselves are not bad, but they must be kept in the right place. And the reality is, like I said, everybody has traditions. So which ones would you rather follow? Would you rather follow those of God's people or those of the pagans? Those are the choices you have to make. Whose traditions do you want to follow? So I think losing this, this right approach to traditions has also hurt the church. It separated the church into this performance activity, not into reverential worship of the Lord. It's actually separated us from our past, and that's a shame. Right? Our family traditions connect. If you have a family tradition, like we have some family traditions for Christmas, our family traditions for Christmas connect us to our family members that aren't with us any longer. They connect us through generations. And then we, now as the Thigh family here, have traditions that we've created. We'll, we'll connect our children through generations of their family. Right? Traditions connect us. They connect us to the past, the present, and the future. But they have to be held within the right light. Excuse me. So traditions, I believe, rightly used, are a way of connecting God's eternal people in worship of Him. So, now let's look at the first tradition that major, most of major evangelical American church has dismissed, and that is the church calendar. Do you want to grab those and just toss one of those around to everybody, please? I'll take one, too. So, would you agree that, uh, would you guys agree that calendars are important? Yes. What is the date today? The 25th. The 25th of what? November. Of what year? 2023. 2023 since what? Since Jesus was born, everybody in the world measures time from one event. Well, they're trying to change it. Yeah, of course they're trying. They've been, of course they will. So we know that it is 2023, 20, 2023 years from the birth of Christ. We know that calendars are so important that the world measures time, even the world that denies his existence, from the birth of the Savior of the world. If you don't think God has a sense of humor... Like every time you look at the year and you're dealing with pagans, you should just ask the pagans, like, what, what's the date today? Mm. November 25th? What year? Look at I know. We already and talked about that. Our anniversary and Matthew's birthday next year is the end of the church calendar. So we, we, have, we have a church calendar. We have calendars that we all use that, we, we, that are important to us. So we know how to mark anniversaries, how to mark traditions, how to mark important days like Matthew's birthday yesterday. But have you ever thought deeply about the calendar, about what it signifies? The calendar signifies a past, a present, and a future. We can look back in a calendar and look at dates in the past. And there are dates that all of us have in memories, right? We're burned into our brain dates that we cannot forget. We look towards date in the future, things that we are looking forward to, traditions, celebrations. And then we exist in a place in the present, all around the calendar. A past, a present, and a future. I'd argue that's very Trinitarian, too. Think about it this way. Time is our one non-renewable resource. 
time is a depleting, non-renewable resource. Now, thankfully, we're eternal people. But our time here is limited, right? And calendars track that. But they, they track more than just the time that has passed and the time that is ahead. They track seasons. You are all aware of seasons. You live in Colorado. Many of you have experienced all four seasons in one March afternoon. We've experienced two seasons in the process of like three days. Right? But there's also seasons that aren't just the physical seasons of the changing of climate. There are seasons of holidays. Well, think about like all the bank holidays or the federal holidays, the seasons of those things, right, in the civil calendar. Fourth of July, Memorial Day, Thanksgiving. They also include Christmas. I find that funny, too. I think it's great. God's got an incredible sense of humor. Right? People plan their lives around school breaks, a season in the summer where kids don't have to go to school. What if I told you there's actually another calendar, the one you have in your hand, that's more important than the calendar that we use just to track our current days, and that is the Christian calendar. This is a calendar of seasons of spirituality. It's a calendar that recognizes that Christ is king overall, that he is the Messiah. And it's a bit like tradition. When we think about calendars, we should think about which calendar we should be following as our primary calendar. Which calendar do you want to base your life around? Do you want to base it around a calendar that acknowledges Christ? Or do you want to base it around that you're planning that you just can't wait for the 4th of July next year because it's just so great? And the 4th of July is great, by the way. We light lots of fireworks. We have a big barbecue here. But which one do I want to organize my life around? The seasons of Jesus Christ? Or, oh my gosh, it's almost Labor Day. So here's what I want you to hear. Obviously, you all have a weekly planner, you have a calendar. Back in Michael and my day, we actually wrote it down on paper. I used to keep it in a day timer. When we were flight instructors in the old days, you didn't know if students were going to come because we didn't have cell phones. We show. I have Bob Smith at 9 a.m. Has anyone seen Bob Smith around? <laughs> it was a dark, dark ages. Obviously, we have calendars and we have ways of tracking things that are important, and we need to be responsible with those. And I'm not telling you that those things are bad. They're important. What I'm telling you is that on top of that calendar should sit another calendar. On the top of that calendar is God's calendar. So yes, you need to know what time it is and what day it is, and what, what, whether it's the fall and we need to wear shorts in the afternoon but sweats in the sweatshirt in the morning or, or whatnot, right? Prepare for days that the bank might be closed in case you have to go deposit money. But on top of that calendar should be the calendar of God. And that's the church calendar. It's the calendar of Christ. And it captures all of the cycles of life and time. It captures peaks and valleys. We're going to see that tomorrow, too, when we talk about uh, Matthew as we continue our journey in Matthew. Uh, periods of normal sailing, we call that ordinary time. That's all the green. Ordinary time. Because in life, sometimes, there's just ordinary time. And there's other seasons in life, too. There's periods of anticipation, periods of waiting, periods of excitement. There's periods of mourning. There's periods of rejoicing, right? All of those things are captured in our normal existence in time, and those things are captured in the calendar of Jesus Christ. And which makes sense because God created all of these experiences. He created all of the fields and all of the ups and downs that all of you have experienced in your life. So it shouldn't shock us that Christ's calendar captures that. And see, there is a direct spiritual nature to the calendar of the church as well because it gives these marker points, these, these placeholders, and you can see these along the outer edge. You'll see actually starting next Sunday, a week from tomorrow, the first Sunday of Advent. That's the new year of the church. That's 12-3. And then it goes to Christmas, and there's Epiphany, and there's the baptism of the Lord, and there's a Transfiguration Sunday, and Shrove Tuesday, and Ash Wednesday. 
and the season called Lent, we're going to talk more about that as we approach, because many of you probably think that's just for the Roman Catholics. Then there's Palm Sunday, and there's Monday, Thursday, and there's Good Friday, and Easter, and so on. There's these, mo- these moments and, and markers and points in time, the placeholders. Some of them we feast, some of them we fast, some of them we wait, some of them we rejoice, some of them we mourn. And we couple them with other traditions, like colors. The church has always incorporated colors. Royalty has always incorporated colors. And so the colors that we display in church indicate the seasons in the church calendar that we're in. They're symbols. None of these things are to be worshipped. None of these things have magic power. But they're symbols. They point us to greater spiritual truth. They're to, to, to open our eyes to things that are more than just the things that we see. It's James Jordan, through new eyes. Right? They're, they're never to be worshipped, but they are there to point to greater spiritual truths. They're reminders of greater spiritual truths. They stir something in us that's deep love, deeper reverence for the Lord. That's why we use great bread and great wine for communion. The bread, the bread is... The bread is just, I mean, it's been on point for a long time, but I don't know how you took the bread to the next level, but the bread's at the next level. That's why we use really sweet dessert wine for communion wine. We're, we're partaking in a joyous meal. It's a meal of remembrance, but it's a meal that we get to share in communion with the Lord, right? This symbol, the meal shared, it's to be beautiful. The meal doesn't magically transform into something. It's not the actual body, the actual blood of Jesus Christ. That's heresy. But something spiritual takes place when you come to the table when you partake in a meal with the Lord. Something spiritual takes place in baptism, even though baptism doesn't save you. That's why they're called sacraments. You're not saved because you're baptized, but something happens to you when you're baptized. It's not the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ, but something's taking place when you're communing with your brothers and sisters in fellowship, remembering the Lord, and also coming and tasting and seeing that He's good because He invited you to a meal with Him. We don't worship communion. We don't worship baptism but we, repar- we recognize its symbolic nature, right? So, the spiritual connection. I think it's a shame that sometimes we, that's the great we, the royal we, paint ourselves into these, these cold, dark, theologically, like only focused on certain thing corners. And, and, it, 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 and this happens a lot in my particular like theological tradition of the Reformed Christianity. You know, a whole bunch of really smart folks who really want to worship the Lord well, who want to read old languages and dig into systematic theology, and it can turn ice cold. It can, it can, it can turn ice cold because you're so focused on, let me tell you what this word in Greek really means, that you, you forget that, that God's universe is spiritual by nature and that you partake in it. There's a visible and an invisible world. And that all of these things outside, we're going to talk about trees. We're going to talk about trees on, on the third. It's going to be great. He put all these symbols that actually interact and support the world, but also are reminders of him. Ignoring the deep spiritual beauty in the tradition of our faith is like ordering french fries without ketchup. Now, if some of you are weird and don't like ketchup or some kind of topping for your fries, check your faith. Um, But fries are great, right? But ketchup makes fries better. Garlic ranch makes the wings taste better takes the beautiful and it glorifies it. I mean, those, those Nashville hot wings we have on Wednesday nights, Wednesday nights are a lot of fun too. The garlic ranch to go with them, mm, it's delicious. It takes something beautiful and it makes it even more beautiful. You're not glorifying the garlic ranch. It's just taking the beautiful Nashville wing and making it even tastier, right? The tradition isn't the thing. 
The colors aren't the thing that are to be worshipped. They glorify. I just made up words. Sometimes you make up words when you talk. They glorify the thing that we're already worshipping, which is the Lord. So that's why in 2024 for us as a church, we're going to grow our traditions around the church calendar. And I think it's going to be a really interesting and fun and exciting growth place for all of us. We've grown a bunch in this last year in the way we sing and the way we interact and the way that we worship. And this just allows us to dig deeper into the spirituality and the connection that we have with our Lord, the one who saved us. And we get to create Christ church traditions as we follow this calendar, traditions that will outlive all of us, God willing. We are the church, but God willing, the church will be a new set of we when we are all gone, carrying on traditions that, that we started that connect us with the past and will connect us to the future. I pray that these will be things that allow us to experience our faith through new eyes, richer and deeper, to really taste and see that the Lord is good. And I think that the calendar becomes this way for us to actively live out our faith. It sets our, our weeks right. I've talked about this a lot, about our rhythms, so you guys are, are new. So part of the rhythm that we do here at the church is that if you look at how the church calendar is set up, the week always begins on Sundays. It's not Monday. It's not like the month. The week begins with worshiping the Lord. So we're big into feasting, and we think a good party is a great way to love the Lord because Christians are supposed to be the most joyful people ever. So we recognize that our week starts on Sunday and ends on Saturday nights, so we bookend our weeks with feasts. We come out at the end of the week right now. We're just finishing our week, and we're going to feast. Thank you, Lord, for another week. And then tomorrow morning we wake up, and we joyously go into church because we feasted all night on Saturday night, and then we worship the Lord with these full hearts and joy, and then we fellowship. And then after we go home to rest, we feast again because now we have a new week. Our, our week actually cycles around the worship experience that we come together for covenantal renewal worship on Sunday mornings. And this actually sets our weeks straight because we don't have to think about the Monday morning blues and the Monday morning drag because that's the second day of our week. We already kicked our week off with a big old party and worship of the Lord. So we feast. We feast entering the week and we feast exiting the week. What I think is really encouraging, family, is that our week revolves around the Sabbath. It revolves around our worship of the Lord. So the, the church calendar, the church calendar rotates around your worship of God. Like, isn't that incredible? That's why it sits on top of all the other calendars. And, and so what makes this even cooler is as I was thinking about this this week, and then I looked at the church calendar, and to be honest with you, I didn't even know this was tomorrow. Tomorrow is... Reign of Christ Sunday, which is the last Sunday of the church calendar, because Advent is the beginning of the Christian New Year. It's also called Christ the King Sunday, which is really exciting. Next year, it's on Matthew's birthday and Christmas my anniversary, so that's pretty cool. But it's a big feast day, and so we're going to talk about because we're going to talk about faith tomorrow in church. We're going to talk about Christ being King and what what the faith of a mustard seed looks like when you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is King over everything. And then we're going to start next week talking about waiting and patience, because we're about to enter a church season of waiting, which is something that we, as people in 2023, don't really love doing, do we? And we have this period of anticipation and buildup as we prepare for Christmas. So my, my encouragement, my excitement as we grow traditions as a church body is that this will allow us to expand our feasts, <laughs> it will allow us to expand how we joyfully serve the Lord, it will uh, allow us to expand how we personally pray and worship. To God, how we keep all of Christ for all of life and, and Jesus at the forefront of our minds and everything that we do, and how we get to show other people that the Lord is good, that come taste and see that the Lord is good.
So I printed calendars, you should take those home. I'm gonna ask the folks that put that one together if we can put it on the website, I'm sure they'll say yes. And that will give us kind of something to follow and flow as we go through the church year. You also notice that the stole that I wear kind of comes on both sides when I come up to the communion table, it matches the colors of the church calendar. It's been green this whole time. It's about to change colors next Sunday. And hopefully in coming time, we're going to maybe get some cloths for the table that will also match uh, the colors. Matthew and I are talking about our future cathedral, and he's got really good ideas about how we're going to dress up the cathedral, and I'm all about it. So the calendar gives us seasons and colors, the highs, the lows, times of ordinary life, markers with reference points, traditions. They remind us all that Christ is king over everything, right? 2,023, soon to be 24 years since the birth of Jesus Christ. This calendar helps us keep in mind all of Christ for all of life. And we're going to get to build traditions around that, which is really cool. So now, now, we've talked about this particular tradition, the calendar tradition. We actually have other traditions in church like the collar that I wear. That's a tradition. There's nowhere in the Bible that says a pastor should wear a collar. This is a particular tradition of pastors and priests who wanted to show that they were slaves to Jesus Christ. It's a public pronouncement of who my boss is, of, of who I am yoked to, of who I'm collared to. And this is where sometimes when people come in, and we, now we're talking about a calendar, we're talking about some traditions, and we sing these hymns, we sing these songs, and they walk in, and they say, well, there's no bells, and there's no smells, but it just feels so... Catholic. They stand up, they sit down, they kneel, they say pretty much the same words each week. Craig wears the collar. He's told us all about calendars and colors. I know that we say that word Catholic in the Apostles' Creed. I know that the website says that we're a Catholic church, but I've also heard Craig swear up and down that he's not Roman Catholic and he's got a whole bunch of kids. So what actually gives? I'm going to assure you two things. We are part, 100%, we are part of the Catholic church. And we are also 100% not part of the Roman Catholic Church. So the most asked question that I get asked when people come to church or they read our liturgy, especially if they didn't grow up in a liturgical church, they didn't go to like a Lutheran or an Anglican or maybe a, a high, kind of a high church Presbyterian church like us, why, why is there the word Catholic in your stuff? And that's, this was last week, I saw Matthew, was it? outpost last week this one one of our church friends pulls me aside and he was like very thoughtful and very nice he's like i just i have a question i read your little you know the i was like the liturgy the liturgy he's like it's got a, a word i was like the word catholic he's like yes the word catholic <laughs> and he, he knows us well he's like i know you're not but it's on there but i don't understand on the thing so this word catholic what does it mean what does it mean when we recite the apostles creed each week and we say i believe in the holy spirit the Holy Catholic Church. What is the Holy Catholic Church? Well, we're the Holy Catholic Church because that word just means universal. It's actually the Greek word for universal. That's why we use a little c and not a big c. It does not mean popes. It does not mean indulgences. It does not mean confessional boxes. It does not mean priests with magical powers and bread and wine that turn into Jesus Christ and a whole bunch of guilt that goes along with it. It just means universal. It means God's true church. And it's a word that we need to recover. It's kind of like that take the rainbow back idea that we have. When we speak of Catholic, Catholicity or the Catholic church, we are talking about all true believers united, united in the foundational things. This is why we adhere to creeds and confessions as a church, because they fundamentally connect us 
to the Catholic, to the universal church. They're just like symbols in the church. When we adhere to the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and the Westminster Confession of Faith, it connects us on this timeline, both past, present, and future, to other churches who confess the same creeds, to what the universal church believes. These creeds, are they're never things to be worshipped. They're never things to be elevated above Scripture. But what they do is they succinctly summarize the Orthodox faith. That's another word that we have to bring back. We need to take Catholic and Orthodox back. So what they do is they succinctly uh, summarize the Orthodox Catholic faith, and then they become our uniting points. And here's the beauty. We recite this creed weekly because it's the statement of our universal faith. It's what true Christians believe. Actually, we've talked about this here. To be a member of our church, you don't have to believe the same thing I believe about the end times. You don't even have to believe the same thing I believe about baptism. It's kind of weird if you don't because we baptize babies and you may feel weirded out, but you can still be a member. All we say you have to believe is in the Apostles' Creed. That's it. That, that is the foundation of the Nicene Creed. If you, that is the foundation of our faith. So I'll read to you the Nicene Creed because we read the Apostles at church. And the Nicene came a little bit after the Apostles' Creed, came at the Council of Nicaea. And it was, they formulated this to help end a debate on the Trinity that they didn't feel was, was, was captured well enough in the Apostles' Creed. So here's, here's the Nicene Creed. It says, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, Begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who, for us men and for our salvation, came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man. And he was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures." He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in the Holy Catholic, and there's an asterisk in this, <laughs> so it points to the bottom says universal, an apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. That's the Christian faith. That is the Orthodox Christian faith summarized. That's what you have to believe in to believe, to be a believer in Jesus Christ, to be in faith in Jesus Christ. And it's so beautiful because what that means is that we can have discussions about the, our differences in end times theology. And I can be in community, in communion with my buddy Alex, who's a Baptist. And he's wrong, but I love him. And he's, he's so close to baptizing babies, right? We can argue and have a good time about secondary issues without being concerned about people's primary salvation. Our worship styles can even look a little bit different, right? Music and dress, but they can all still be liturgical and covenantal and worship the Lord. If you were to go to a, a CREC church in, in Turkey, or we, I think there's six churches in the Ukraine, they do covenant rural worship, but it might look a little bit different than we do. But it's not heretical because we adhere to the same creeds and the same confessions because we are one Catholic and, and Orthodox church. You see, churches have personality, but of course they have personality because they're made up of people who make up the body of Christ, and you all have personalities. And so your personalities are going to be what builds the personality of a church, and that's going to look different from church to church because they're living, breathing organisms of human beings that come together to worship the Lord.
But those churches, even though they may look a little different and they may sound a little different, can be united together in Catholicity because they're based on the same foundation. It's not about making cookie-cutter churches that look exactly the same. Your church looks a little different than our church. And Redeemer looks a little different than both of those. And the guys up in Boulder and uh, Jonathan's new church uh, up north, they all look a little bit different, but we're united together foundationally as the church. Excuse me. This is why on Sundays I say when, 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 we're, when we're coming to the table, and I mention that the grain comes from many hills and that the grapes from many vines that are brought together in a meal, and we pray that God's church, the Catholic church, will be unified from all ends of the earth, right? As the grains come together, as the grapes come together, that is a symbol of us wanting the unity of the church coming from all ends of the earth together to worship Jesus Christ. So I hope, I hope this gives you more insight into why we do the things the way that we do things, and that traditions aren't bad, that they're beautiful. We, as a church body, will be thoughtful about what traditions we keep and what traditions we don't. We'll probably discuss some of those things. We're going to learn, especially at the outpost nights, about why we do some of those things, especially as we introduce some new things in the next year. And that's going to be really great. You should be thoughtful about your traditions that you have in your personal life, in your right with family and, and things that you celebrate. So you, know, you probably don't want to follow all of crazy Cousin Eddie's traditions. So you pick and choose there. We're going to be thoughtful about the traditions that we follow as a church. But God-honoring and God-edifying traditions are really beautiful. And they're connecting. And they allow us to fulfill what it says in Psalm 211. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. This fear isn't like hide under the desk fear. It's awe. It's reverence. The trembling is this rejoice with trembling. You are so excited to rejoice. You're shaking. It's God. It's God who gives you life. You, he breathes into you, sustains you every moment. Everything that you see, you experience is under his control. He is king over it all. So you rejoice and you tremble because you're in the presence of a loving God who's picked you, who's elevated you. you were, you're his from before the creation of the world. We get to think about that and live that out through traditions like the annual calendar by laying it on top of our day-to-day -day life. We get to acknowledge that time belongs to God our Father. He first created time. We're just the shepherds of what he's given us. We're here to use it well. We're here to treat our one non-replenishing resource well. We're to use our time well. So I pray as we move into this New Year's of church family that our traditions are glorifying to God. I hope that they stretch us. I really do. This has been a good year, I think, of church growth and stretch for us, but... Growth never comes in times of ease. Growth always comes in times of pressure. And so I'm excited about this because some of these are going to cause us to stretch and grow, which is really great. And so I pray that our traditions and our liturgies that we do at Christ Church are always edifying and glorifying of God. And I pray that He continues to bless us, His church, the Catholic Church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's sing and then let's feast.